Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of my podcast. Today I am going to cover pneumothorax and basically the overview for pneumothorax is it can be a full or a partial collapse of the lung and it is caused by a collection of air in the pleural space which then leads to loss of negative intrapleural pressures and then the degree of lung collapse is determined by how much air or gas is trapped in between that space. So most common pneumothorax types are spontaneous. There's um, primary or secondary spontaneous pneumothorax. There's also traumatic pneumothorax, which is closed, open, or iatrogenic um, pneumothorax. And then there's also tension pneumothorax. So primary pneumothorax occurs in people with no underlying pulmonary disease or a triggering event. Secondary pneumothorax occurs in people with lung disease, and traumatic pneumothorax results from a blunt uh, closed injury to the lung or a penetrating, which is open trauma, to the chest. And so it can be classified as iatrogenic, so as a result of um, treatment, or it could be secondary to diagnostic. So tension, and there's also tension pneumothorax, which occurs as a result of air in the pleural cavity under positive pressure, which can be life-threatening. So the pathophysiology is air enters the pleural space and accumulates, and it separates the visceral and the parietal uh, pleurae. Negative pressure is then eliminated, which is how normally... Um, the air movement happens in the lungs. There is a negative pressure that is created to inspire the air to leave and re-enter the lungs. So this affects the elastic recoil forces of the lungs. The lung recoils and then it collapses towards the hilum, impairing lung expansion. So it can't re-expand once that air is basically occupying that space that it would normally um, open back up to. So with a closed pneumothorax, the air enters the pleural space from within the lung, increasing pleural pressure and preventing lung expansion. With an open pneumothorax, atmospheric air flows directly into the pleural um, cavity. So there's like a hole or a puncture somewhere that's causing the air to leak into that pleural space. So then this leads to a collapsed lung on the affected side where the injury happened. And then with the tension pneumothorax, air in the pleural space is under higher pressure than air in the adjacent lung. Air enters the pleural space through the chest wall or the airways, but it's unable to escape. This air pressure exceeds the barometric pressure, causing compression, actylactasis, and then increased pressure may displace the heart and the great vessels, causing even more pressure in the intrathoracic space. So then this will cause a mid-stinal shift toward the unaffected side that doesn't have all of this pressure building up and of course can result in cardiac arrest because you're having all that compression which then leads to vessels being compressing which then leads to blood flow being constricted to the, could be to the heart primarily, that's why they would have cardiac failure. Um, Also causes of spontaneous pneumothorax could be a rupture of a blep on a lung surface. It could also be um, emphysematous 
uh, boule rupture. It could be for closed pneumothorax. It could be barotrauma, blunt chest trauma, or clavicle fracture, a congenital blep rupture. Um, they can also get emphysematous uh, boule rupture. Erosive um, tubercular or cancerous lesions can cause a closed pneumothorax. Inter interstitial lung disease can also cause a closed pneumothorax. And then there's um, ruptured or rib fracture can also cause a closed pneumothorax. Um, yeah, a closed pneumothorax. And then for an open pneumothorax, there has to be a penetrating injury to the lungs. So something has to stab the lungs from outside the body, causing that hole to be created and then air to be entering into the lungs. So it could be stabbing, could be gunshot wound. And then also there's iatrogenic pneumothorax. So when they're inserting a central venous catheter, they could accidentally um, puncture one of the membranes of the lungs and that could create a little hole where air would then enter through the central line um, catheter and basically into the lungs and create that pneumothorax. Could also be chest surgery can cause iatrogenic pneumothorax and then percutaneous lung biopsy can also have a risk of causing pneumothorax. A thoracentesis can also put a patient at risk for a pneumothorax. And then a trans uh, bronchial biopsy can also put a patient at risk for pneumothorax. And then for um, tension pneumothorax, there could the patient could have a chest tube and then the chest tube could have an occlusion or a malfunction that causes the pressure to build up in the lungs without proper removal. And then high positive and expiratory pressures or PEEP. If the patient is on a ventilator, high amount of PEEP could cause a tension pneumothorax. Um, lung or airway puncture from positive pressure ventilation. So if they're on a ventilator, this is also a complication of a ventilator. And then having mechanical ventilation after chest injury can put them at risk for tension pneumothorax. Blunt or penetrating chest wound can also cause a tension pneumothorax. So risk factors um, for primary pneumothorax would be smoking, someone who's tall, thin body build, someone who's got anorexia nervosa, someone who's got Marfan syndrome, someone who has, has someone who is pregnant, and someone who's got familial family history of um, spontaneous pneumothorax. Secondary cause of a pneumothorax can be chronic obstructive pulmonary disease so this is where they actually have an underlying lung disease primary pneumothorax they really don't have an underlying lung disease yet but they have other risk factors that would put them at a higher risk for it so secondary pneumothorax um, as i mentioned copd asthma cystic fibrosis um, hiv pneumonia necrotizing pneumonia tuberculosis pulmonary malignancy, severe acute respiratory distress syndrome, acute respiratory distress syndrome, and then endomitrosis is also a risk factor for secondary pneumothorax. Traumatic pneumothorax risk factors are dangerous lifestyle or occupation, where they are at risk of having um, trauma happen directly to the chest, or the chest could be impacted if they do get in an accident based on what they do. And then traumatic pneumothorax can also happen in a motor vehicle crash. When the airbags release, hits the chest, that is a traumatic injury to the chest area. 
And then tension pneumothorax, mechanical ventilation is a high risk, especially when the patient is on high amount of PEEP. So for assessments, the patient may be um, asymptomatic with small pneumothorax, so it's just like it's just developing and you might hear very diminished, like you might start to hear the lung sounds diminish. And then sudden sharp pleuritic pain, referred to shoulder pain, can also be uh, a sign that the patient may have. Pain that worsens with chest movement may also indicate something going on with the chest. And then pain that worsens with breathing and coughing. They might get dysmia. Um, they might have a cough. They might have chest heaviness. I had a patient on a ventilator who got a spontaneous um, pneumothorax. She didn't have prior lung disease that we were aware of. And we had noticed um, a few hours prior to them discovering that she was having a pneumothorax, the left side of the chest just started to, the breath sound started to diminish um, just as the day progressed. And then at nighttime, she became, uh, she got more distressed. She needed more um, ventilator settings, more support on the ventilator. Her FiO2 needs went up and her vitals were increased, so tachycardic. She was very tachypnic. And so they did a chest x-ray and they discovered her left lung had collapsed. So she was developing a pneumothorax throughout the day, just spontaneously with um, no clear indication because she did have her um, subclavian uh, subclavian line inserted about three or four days prior. So it wasn't like an immediate um, result, but that was the only thing that could explain that side of the lung having a pneumothorax is that when that subclavian was inserted maybe it nicked the the lungs a little bit and then air just kind of seeped into that space over days and then eventually the lungs clapped so that's my little story on um spontaneous pneumothorax and just kind of subtle signs and symptoms of um, figuring out what's happening with the lungs and why they're all of a sudden becoming diminished because um, you're always comparing both sides. Um, also, physical findings that you can that you can find you can they can have um, tachypenia, they can have bradypenia, um, they can have respiratory distress, tachycardia, pulses paradoxus, asymmetrical chest wall movement, decreased chest excursion on the affected side. They could have overexpansion and rigidity on the affected side. They could have spontaneous, or sorry, subcutaneous emphysema. They could have hyperresonance on the affected side. This is rare. They can have decreased or absent breast sounds on the affected side. Just like I mentioned with my patient, it was just progressively becoming more and more diminished compared to the right side. Like her, she was still having equal chest movements, but you would significantly note that she was much more quieter on the left side as the day went. And then she, um, you could also do, they could have um, decreased tactile fremitus over the affected area. So this is where like you're pressing your hand right on the chest as they're breathing to feel for um for any fremitus or movement in the chest, I guess. It's like a little vibration when you lay your hand on their chest to check for fremitus. There's actually like a full... If you've ever gone to nursing school, there's a full, like, assessment of, like, fremitus where they literally, like, you put both hands on the back of the lungs and 
you're feeling the chest area as the patient breathes in and out and they say certain letters as you listen to see if it sounds basically a detailed um, lung exam is what I'm trying to describe here too that includes tactile affirmatives. They might have absent ecophony and bronchophony on the affected side. This is where in nursing school you got them to say E and then I forgot the other letter that you got them to say but I work in the ICU now. Patients are mostly sedated most of the time so you can't really get them to say these things. You just kind of go by auscultation and then also palpating their chest. Um, tension pneumothorax, the patient might have distended jugular veins, although I rarely see anyone measuring the um, jugular vein to see if it's distended or not. Only ever saw it in like nursing videos that like when you went to nursing school and you had to like see if it was a certain amount of centimeters to be within, to be above. But yeah, I rarely see people measure people's jugular distensions unless it's like super obvious and you can see it like bul- like bulging on their neck. But other than that, never really seen it done in um, clinical practice. And then patient could have pallor, anxiety, tracheal deviation away from the affected side is always one thing they taught you in nursing school to watch for tension pneumothorax, especially when they had a chest tube. You're watching to make sure their trachea is midline and that they don't have any impending respiratory distress or cardiac collapse because of that tube being kinked and blocked and basically holding everything in their chest cavity and then it just getting worse and worse with the pressure um they could also have a weak rapid pulse they could have hypotension they could have tachypnea they could have cyanosis is like a very late sign of being deoxygenated and not getting enough oxygen um exchanged in the lungs and delivered to the body that would be the result of cyanosis absent breath sounds on the affected side like i mentioned this is also evident in tension pneumothorax decreased cardiac output because um, when you have that increased pressure and it starts moving to the unaffected side you're uh, compressing the vessels and then of course they may have chest pain and then of course cardiac arrest if tension pneumothorax is not identified in time and not resolved so diagnostic tests that they might do they might do an abg which may show hypoxemia, hypercarbia, and acidosis. And then imaging, they might do a chest x-ray, they could do an ultrasound, they could do a CT. And then for treatments, general treatment is basically conservative treatment of spontaneous pneumothorax with no signs of increased um, pleural pressure, less than 30% lung collapse, no obvious uh, physiologic compromise. So they do like minimal intervention if it's not a severe form of lung collapse and then of course if the patient arrests you do CPR if that is within their goals of care. They might also with every patient that comes into the hospital we do a DVT prophylaxis. We either um, put uh, sequential stockings on or we start them on anticoagulant if it's indicated for them and it's safe to do so. And then, of course, diet as tolerated, activity, bed rest until that lung is re-expanded. And then um, advise them that they, if they do get out of the hospital before it's resolved, no air travel until the chest um, x-ray is normal. Medications, um, they might give them doxycycline for a pleural desis with recurrent pneumothorax, opioids for pain control, you could also give them Tylenol if it's minor pain, but most of the time we give people 
um, opioids just because they're in acute pain and it treats their pain a lot better than um, over-the-counter medications. Of course, if they need oxygen and their saturations indicate so, give them supplemental oxygen. And then things that they might get as a result of a pneumothorax, of course, chest x-ray um, insertion. And then um, they might have like a one-way valve insertion and then also pleural, pleurodysis for repeated pneumothorax in patients who are not surgical candidates. Also, they might get a, what else can they get? Thoracotomy, pleurectomy for recurring spontaneous pneumothorax. They might get a repair of the traumatic pneumothorax and then a resection of the blebs or the pleura. Nursing interventions, of course, CPR if the patient arrests and their goals of care indicates so. Give them oxygen as prescribed to maintain their saturation. And then um, respiratory therapists might be ordered to do repeating ABGs to analyze um, how well they're oxygenating. And then you might assist. I've never really assisted with a chest tube insertion other than making sure they have materials, making sure the patient's vitals are okay. And as they're focused on insertion, you could remind them of the vitals if the vitals become, if they change as they're inserting. And then once they're done, you... Um, connect a chest tube up to the um, insertion sites and then you ask the doctors if they want um, drain by gravity or if they want suction for drainage and then you monitor like how much um, is coming out and if you need to replace anything like if they're dumping out like a bunch of fluids out of the chest tube you need to look at that for their ins and outs then of course you're doing your lung assessments you're auscultating their lungs as prescribed and then comfort measures making sure their pain is treated making sure they're getting adequate turning so they don't get pressure sores um what else can you do for them monitor them closely for complications of a chest tube um reassessing and then seeing if the patient's pain is adequately being treated by the medications you're giving making sure they get their um anticoagulant therapy when they're there and then any monitoring for any side effects like bleeding etc etc um otherwise you can just try to um, explain everything that's happening to the patient to making sure they're as up to date as they can and they understand everything that's happening and then you're of course doing their vitals you're monitoring their labs you're monitoring their ins and outs you're monitoring their respiratory status you're monitoring the chest tube insertion and how well it's working, if there's any leaks that's happening to the system, and um, also if it needs any dressing changes. And then you're monitoring for signs and symptoms of complications, such as infection on the um, chest tube site, and then you're also monitoring for air being trapped in the tissues just right around the insertion site. And then, of course, you're... Um, monitoring for worsening signs of the pneumothorax so if the chest tube is there the patient seems like they're not getting better you want to let the physicians know and that is it for pneumothorax i hope you guys um enjoyed that review i thought i'd quickly record one before i go for my night shift i think i've gotten two episodes out and they're not like months apart or weeks apart so i will do my best at the i'll probably do next week 
was ready to do another episode, uh, another quick review episode. But other than that, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Bye now.